to Polyactic's Pediatric Podcasts. Today's podcast is on epilepsy and drugs used to treat epilepsy. So first of all, the International League Against Epilepsy has got quite a nice, neat definition about our definition of epilepsy. So it's a disease of the brain defined by any of the following conditions. At least two unprovoked or reflex seizures occur more than 24 hours apart. One unprovoked or reflex seizure and a probability of further seizures similar to the general recurrence risk occurring over the next 10 years or a diagnosis of an epilepsy syndrome such as Lennox-Gastaut syndrome or Dravet syndrome. The new classification 2017 I think goes a long way to simplifying what is quite a complex topic. So we've got three main forms of classifying seizures with epilepsy. So we've got focal onset in one area of the brain, generalized onset all over the brain, all over the brain, or unknown onset. Focal onset can either have a w- normal awareness or impaired awareness. They can be motor, they can be non-motor, and they can change in their types. You can also get focal onset seizures that can generalize. So you, they can have focal onset seizures with secondary generalization. So they start in one area of the brain and spread over. Generalized onset um, will, by definition, give you impaired awareness. You have motor that are tonic, clonic, and other ones such as myoclonic, non-motor such as absent, and then unknown onset, if you don't know. Just to get you thinking, a few cases. So a previously healthy 15-month-old boy has a 60-second generalized seizure and has recently been unwell with temperatures over the last few days with a viral illness and is now acting normal. So... For that one, that would be a simple febrile seizure. These often occur when your temperature goes up suddenly, so it's the rate of increase of temperature that's much more important than the actual temperature itself. So if you were to go from, say, 36 degrees to 39 degrees, that is a three-degree increase. And if that had happened over a relatively short period of time, that is much more important than someone with a temperature of kind of 39.5, but was previously 38.8. Second one, an eight-year-old boy has multiple episodes every day brief episodes of behavioral arrest an eye fluttering goes blank in the face unresponsive um, and it shows his eeg shows three hertz spike in wave discharges so these would be absent seizures or petty mal seizures third example would be a six month old having episodes of tonic flexion of the trunk head and extremities so spasms that occur in clusters so these would be infantile spasms in the fourth case, a child of infantile spasms, hypsarrhythmia on EEG and developmental aggression is the well-known triad of West syndrome. So there's are a few things to get us interested about, some of the things that can cause epilepsy. So if we look at case number one, so we've got a girl, let's say she's 16, let's say she's on the combined oral contraceptive pill, she's had some lip smacking, she's been walking around, she collapsed, she went stiff, a few jerks of the body, Recovered awareness within two minutes, had bitten her tongue and was confused for around about 45 minutes to one hour and can't remember the event. So almost got like this post-ictal symptoms, has had some lip smacking that is focal. So this is originally, that is an automatism. We'll talk about some examples in the next, um, in the next section. She's walked around, she's collapsed, she's gone stiff and she's jerked, so she's had tonic-clonic. So this looks like a focal seizure 
because of the lip smacking in one area of the brain was secondary generalization. She can't remember the event. So automatisms are non-purposeful. Okay, they have no purpose to them. They're quite stereotyped and they're repetitive. And if you think about them, you think about focal seizures. The behavior is inappropriate for the situation and they can be simple vocalizations such as moaning um, to actually stereotype speech as saying the same thing over and over again. The most common automatisms in temporal lobe epilepsy are oral, so that's things like lip smacking, chewing and swallowing, and manual, so these are picking, fumbling, packing. So if someone, if we made the decision, the assumption we're going to make in all these cases is that someone's decided this patient needs to go on medications. It could be that they've had multiple of these seizures, they've been assessed, and um, maybe they've got video evidence of the other ones. And they need to be started on anti-epileptic medication. So in this patient with focal seizures, with or without secondary generalization, in this case was with, but our management is largely the same, our management would be carmazepine and lamotrigine. So it's important in the context, actually, this girl's on the combined or contraceptive pill. So carmazepine is a P450 enzyme inducer, so it can decrease the effectiveness of the combined or contraceptive pill. So in this case, I would lean away from carmazepine and lean towards lamotrigine, considering we've got another option. Combined pill, how does it work? Well, the combined pill that she's on prevents the ovaries from releasing an egg through an ovulation. It thickens the mucus in the neck of the womb, so it's actually harder, harder for the sperm to penetrate the womb. It thins the lining of the womb, so actually it's a less suitable environment for a fertilized egg to be able to grow. Lamotrigine has multiple mechanisms, but let's talk about the main mechanism. Lamotrigine has blockade, leads to blockade of sodium channels. Okay, so that's voltage and frequency dependent blockade. So two different ones, but you think lamotrigine, think blockage of sodium channels. Why is that really important? Because your phase zero of your action potential, when you go from having a negative action potential to positive action potential, is that massive, very steep bit of your phase zero is due to influx of sodium, your rapid sodium channels. If you prolong the amount of time that these channels are inactivated for, you decrease the probability of an action potential firing and lamotrigine and carmazepine, both that are used for focal seizures with or without secondary generalization, work in this mechanism, okay? Other things that we'll talk about today will be in other categories, okay? So case number one, we had someone with focal seizures with secondary generalization, but even if it was without focal seizures, are carmazepine, lamotrigine, and they're both sodium channel blockers. Case number two, we've got a 16-year-old boy who's had tonic-clonic seizures witnessed by his friends. So these are generalized seizures. Okay, these are generalized seizures. There's no suggestion that he's got anything else. Juvenile myoclonic epilepsy is suspicious in this patient because Juvenile myoclonic epilepsy presents between the ages of 12 and 18. It often presents with generalized tonic-clonic seizures and risk factors might be sleep deprivation, stress and alcohol use. May, maybe explains why his friends have seen them. 
We'll often report jerky movements in the upper limbs in the mornings and you have a generalised polyspike in wave discharges at 4 to 6 hertz and it's treated with valproic acid or sodium valproate and their prognosis is lifelong risk of seizures. So generalised seizures, if we talk about tonic-clonic that are a form of generalised seizures, sodium valproate is a first-line treatment unless they're premenopausal and then we don't like valproate you can give something like lamotrigine, okay? Lamotrigine can exacerbate myoclonic seizures, so if they've got juvenile myoclonic epilepsy, probably don't want to give them lamotrigine, so sodium valproate. Sodium valproate blocks your sodium channels, also inhibits GABA transaminase, which is an important enzyme that we'll talk about later. So, why do we care about how all these drugs work? Well, actually, how does normal neuromuscular transmission work? So step number one, we get an action potential arriving. It's like this is a presynaptic um, action potential. OK, so this is what we've got happening. We've got a nerve impulse down a myelinated fibre, rapid propagation, and, that, and it arrives. The second thing happens when we've got this action potential is we get sodium channels that are opening. So this depolarizes the axon, okay, the axon. So depolarization of the axon is because these sodium channels phase zero of your action potential. Depolarization of these um, terminal membrane, which is the bit at the top in your diagram, causes voltage-gated calcium channels to open. What then happens, calcium enters the cell and triggers fusion of acetylcholine vesicles with your presynaptic membrane. Your acetylcholine molecules diffuse across the synaptic cleft and actually bind to the post-synaptic membrane, makes sense. You get fusion with the presynaptic and they diffuse across and bind to the postsynaptic, and then you open your sodium channels and this depolarizes your postsynaptic membrane. This spreads this wave of depolarization and fires an action potential. Acetylcholine is then broken down by acetylcholine esterase and recycled back. Okay, so that's why these are important. So each of these things, some medications we'll talk about today, work on voltage-gated so um, calcium channels, things like ethosuximide that we'll talk about later on. Some of the things work on sodium channels, such as your lamotrigine and carmazepine. So this is really important to be aware of these medications because they. They physiologically make sense. Case number three, we've got a six-year-old who has been diagnosed with absent seizures. So it turns out they've been having um, lack of awareness, of abrupt onset, sometimes can last for 10 to 15 seconds. They don't have any changes in tone, have no bowel or bladder incontinence, and they also experience some eye blinking. And they've had a three hertz spike and wave pattern on, on their EEG. So absent seizures are usually treated with ethosuximide or sodium valproate. Ethosuximide, ET, ET because it affects your thalamus, ET because it affects your T-type calcium channels, and ET because it affects tiny seizures or petit mal seizures. ET affects your thalamus, ET affects your T-type calcium channels, ET it affects tiny seizures, petit mal. Ethosuximide, mechanism of action it blocks voltage sensitive t-type calcium channels in your thalamus okay which is 
calcium channels, isn't it? We've talked about them, we've talked about why they're important. So it affects your calcium channels in your thalamus. So what's worth remembering is we treat, um, which is our next slide. So we talked about valproate already and its mechanism of action. So I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Um, we're now going to talk about infantile spasms as kind of the last bit of this podcast. So infantile spasms are treated differently depending if the patient's got tubular sclerosis or not. So if you're in an exam and they're asking what the first line management is to patients that haven't got tubular sclerosis, you can offer steroids or vigabatrin. If they've got tubular sclerosis, you give them vigabatrin. So actually, more likely in an exam to have a patient that's got infantile spasms, got a diagnosis of tubular sclerosis, what's the first line management? So the first line management is vigabatrin, okay? So when they did the UK study, that was a UK-wide study looking into treatment of infantile spasms, one of the exclusion criteria was having a history of tubular sclerosis. So it has basically proven that steroids are really beneficial and a good first-line option for patients with infantile spasms, but because those with tubular sclerosis were um, excluded from this study, we haven't got the evidence to say, NICE haven't got the evidence to say that... Um, steroids are a good first-line risk. So we're still stuck with vigabatrin for those with tubular sclerosis. Why give steroids to some with infantile spasms? Well, we know that corticotropin-releasing hormone, or CRH, is ep um, epileptogenic. So it increases your risk of um, infantile spasms. The previous thing that used to be given for these patients was ACTH, and if you imagine, um, prednisolone or steroids and ACTH do a very similar thing. So if you give them prednisolone, you'll increase their cortisol. That will suppress uh, CRH production from the hypothalamus through negative feedback. If the, you give them ACTH, this stimulates steroid production, increases your cortisol, which suppresses CRH. So they work in very similar ways. So just remember for this one, why do we... Why, are, why is prednisolone an option? Prednisolone suppresses corticotropin-releasing hormone through negative feedback. Vigabatrin is the other medication, so it can be a first-line uh, treatment. If they haven't got tubular sclerosis, and if they have, it is the first-line management. It inhibits an enzyme called GABA transaminase. Um, GABA transaminase, if you like, works quite nicely. So GABA transaminase is an enzyme that can be inhibited in these situations. So why care about GABA transaminase? So GABA transaminase, as you're aware of, is if you inhibit GABA transaminase, it increases your levels of GABA. Okay. So if you inhibit this enzyme, it increases your GABA levels. GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So if you inhibit your GABA transaminase levels, which is what Vigabatrin does, you increase the amount of GABA in your body. Okay, You increase the amount of GABA in your body, which is really important. So if you inhibit GABA transaminase, you increase your GABA levels. GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. If you don't inhibit this enzyme, okay, what happens is you can selectively produce succinic acid that gets fed into your 
TCA cycle rather than or your Krebs cycle rather than producing GABA. So if you inhibit GABA transaminase, you increase your GABA levels. Gamma aminobutyric acid, this is an inhibitory neurotransmitter, which is good news. The problem with vigabatran is you can get visual field defects that resolve when you stop the medication. So an important thing for exams, if someone is on treatment for infantile spasms and they develop visual field defect, V for vigabatran, B for visual field defect is the answer. Last thing, because you may come across it in status epilepticus in exam questions, phenytoin blocks your voltage sensitive calcium, um, sodium channels. So things that work on sodium channels are phenytoin, carmazepine and lamotrigine. Valproate, remember, has a slightly weird mechanism of action because it actually works in quite a few different ways. So it's a difficult thing in your exams to ask about. So it blocks your sodium channels and also inhibits GABA transaminase. So a similar mechanism of action to vigabatran, but vigabatran doesn't affect your sodium channels. So sodium valproate has lots of different mechanisms so our summary, so if you've got focal seizure with or without generalization, you give lamotrigine or comazepine. Generalized seizures, if they're generalized, remember there's three big categories. Tonic-clonic seizures, you give them valproate or lamotrigine. If it's absent seizures, you can give them ethosuximide or valproate. Remember, ethosuximide affects your thalamus. It affects your T-type calcium channels. Myoclonic, you avoid lamotrigine. Lamotrigine makes myoclonic seizures worse, so that would be the main distractor in an exam. So in our 16-year-old boy, you would go for sodium valproate, and you would avoid lamotrigine. Sodium valproate is teratogenic. All antiepileptics are, to some extent, an increase your risk of neurotube defects. Some of them can be continued during pregnancy. Just give them five milligrams of folic acid rather than 500 micrograms. The final thing we talked about were infantile spasms. And we said if they have got tubular sclerosis, you give them vigabatrin. If they haven't got tubular sclerosis, you can consider giving them a steroid rather than vigabatrin. Vigabatrin works by increasing your GABA um, by inhibiting your GABA, uh, GABA transaminase that increases your GABA levels. Okay, so you inhibit GABA transaminase, you increase your GABA levels. Um, gamma aminobutyric acid is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. Vigabatrin has the problem, B for vigabatrin, B for visual field defects. Remember, phenytoin works on blocking those voltage-sensitive calcium channels. So thank you very much for listening today about this podcast on epilepsy and the mechanism of action of some of the medications that are used to treat it. Thank you for listening. <laughs>